Hello, it is Friday, March 1st, 2024. I'm Charlie Shine, and reading the front pages of the Hartford Current and the New York Times with me today is Bill Murphy. We're going to start by taking a look at the pictures in the front page of the New York Times and then jump over to Bill and then take a look at the pictures in the front page of the Current and get our first story. So in the front page of the Times, upper left-hand side, we have a uh, photo from... uh, Gaza, a body of a Palestinian on Thursday in Gaza City. Officials on each side of the conflict offered differing accounts of what happened. And uh, we're going to get more on that story, actually, from uh, the Hartford Current. But the picture itself is showing, uh, looks like, four men on some sort of a cart. There's a body in the middle of them, and it looks like the body's being carted away. And the the, uh, background is just uh, a ruined Gaza City. As we move on down right at the fold, there's a picture of Richard Lewis on stage in 2005. He died, unfortunately. We're going to have more on that as the uh, hour rolls on. Underneath the fold in the Times, Megan uh, Moskop Toller, rather, and Cameron Toller of Brooklyn spend more on childcare than rent. It's a picture of the of the couple uh, in their apartment uh, with their two children. Um, and I believe we're going to have more on that as the as the hour goes on. And then um, down on the bottom, we have a photo from the international section, Life in Belize's Brutalist Capital. Uh, Belmopan, which sits deep in the country's interior, it's bureaucratic and perhaps boring. Residents love it. And again, more on that in just a few minutes. As we move on over to the national section, a photo from, um, oh, by the way, the picture itself looks like some folks on top of a building. Uh, not quite sure what they're doing. Anyways, we move on over. Uh, um, we're at the thumbnail photos in the bottom of the page from the national section. The story, nursing home woes persist. Infection control lapses and staffing shortages are still affecting many sites beyond the pandemic. Uh, again, more on that as as the hour rolls on. And then finally, uh, from the weekend section, unfortunately, we're not d- diving into that in this in this hour. Inside the Outsider Art Fair, uh, the uh, a Beat Poet self-portrait, a 1930 circus poster, and George Russell's three-foot dolls, those are pictured above, are among the finds at this eclectic event in Manhattan. Um, and the picture itself, yes, it looks uh, like some some little dolls are sitting there, some miniature um, furniture items as well. Uh, again, that's in the weekend section of today's New York Times. And that's it for the pictures in the front page of the Times. Now we jump over to Bill and get our um, the pictures in the current and our first story. Hello, Bill. Hello, Charlie. <clears throat> uh, I have three pictures and one thumbnail picture. I'll read the caption on the main picture. Uh, pretty much describes the picture of this caption. Connecticut State Police Interim Commissioner Ronnell Higgins announces that state police are increasing their traffic enforcement statewide aimed at reducing driving and pedestrian fatalities. And he is standing at a podium in a State Department of Transportation parking lot Uh, that overlooks cars and trucks passing by on Interstate 91. And he is speaking at the the podium, and there's an unidentified lady in back. Underneath, uh, a related picture, there's just this picture of traffic traveling along Interstate 91 in Rocky Hill. 
uh, it says in the caption, it's near the Connecticut Department of Transportation office. Uh, we're not going to have a story on that, I don't believe. Um, so we're going to move on to two other pictures. This other one is an aerial view of a portion of Bushnell South area in downtown Hartford. Spinnaker Real Estate Partners of South Norwalk has purchased the parking lot. And again, as, as it is a high uh, aerial view of the parking lot, uh, some buildings in the background, I believe it's the state. I'm not sure what this, uh, maybe the Bushland Memorial, I'm not sure. Uh, there's one thumbnail picture, and we are going to have a story on this. A man named Nicholas Duff of Torrington has been seizure-free for three and a half years after receiving a deep brain stimulator for his epilepsy. And we will have a story on that coming up later in the broadcast. So we're going to go right into the world and nation. And the first story I have is from Rafa Gaza Strip. Israeli troops fired on a crowd of Palestinians racing to pull food off of an aid convoy in Gaza City on Thursday, witnesses said. More than 100 people were killed in the chaos, bringing the death toll since the start of the Israel-Hamas war to more than 30,000, according to health officials. Israel said many of the dead were trampled in a chaotic stampede for the food aid and that its troops fired only when they fell endangered by the crowd. The violence was quickly condemned by Arab countries and President Joe Biden expressed concern it would add to the difficulty of negotiating a ceasefire in the nearly five-month conflict. The Gaza City area was among the first targets of Israel's air, sea, and ground offensive launched in response to Hamas's October 7th attack into Israel. While many Palestinians fled the invasion in the north of the enclave, a few hundred thousand are believed to remain in the largely devastated and isolated region. Several deliveries of aid reached the area this week, officials said. The deadly chaos in Gaza City will likely fuel criticism of Israel when it comes to allowing aid in. Aid groups say it has become nearly impossible to deliver supplies in most of Gaza because of the difficulty of coordinating with the Israeli military, ongoing hostilities, and the breakdown of public order with crowds of desperate people overwhelming aid convoys. The UN says a quarter of Gaza's 2.3 million Palestinians face starvation. Around 80% have fled their homes. Military officials said the pre-dawn convoy of 30 trucks driving to northern Gaza were met by huge crowds of people trying to grab the aid they were uh, carrying. Dozens of Palestinians were killed in the stampede, and some were run over by the trucks as the drivers tried to get away, said Rear Admiral Daniel Hagari, Israel's chief military spokesperson. And we're going to go over to Charlie for the next story. Thank you very much, Bill. Brutalist oasis lacks bustle, but residents love it that way. This from the international section of the New York Times uh, from Belize. Uh, mention Bel Mopan, Belize's capital. It sits deep in the country's interior, and many Belizeans will belittle the city as a bastion of pencil-pushing bureaucrats that's not just dull but also devoid of nightlife. I was warned, Bel Mopan is for the newlyweds or the nearly dead, said Raquel Rodriguez, 45, owner of an art school 
about the reactions when she moved to Belmopan from coastal from the coastal bustling Belize city. Not exactly known as Eden for young urbanites, Belmopan figures among the smallest capital cities anywhere in the Americas. It has only about 25,000 residents and a cluster of hurricane-proof, heavy-on-the-concrete, Maya-inspired, built brutalist buildings. The capital of Central America's only English-speaking nation can feel jarringly different from the French capitals of neighboring countries. In terms of its origin and design, Belmopan has more in common with the capitals of other former British colonies, especially in Africa. But Belmopan is also perhaps a prism through which to view the development of Belize, which has emerged as something of an exception in Central America, in the region where rulers are embracing authoritarian tactics, Belize has developed into a relatively stable, albeit young, parliamentary democracy with a history of peaceful transitions of power. The capital, serenely calm at times, boasts a reputation for safety and equality. Uh, and quality of life. In a sparsely populated country with fewer than half a million people, Belmopan's welcoming vibe also showcases Belize's extraordinarily ethnic diversity and its propensity to absorb migrants from other parts of Central America. Consider the open-air market where many residents buy their food. Peddlers greet customers in Belize's official language, English, or uh, Creole, the patois, formed centuries ago when Britons bought, brought enslaved Africans to what is now Belize. Other vendors speak Mayan languages such as uh, Kechki, uh, Mopan, and Yucatec, spotlighting the indigenous peoples who have long lived in Belize or who have moved into the country from Guatemala or Mexico. Reflecting different migration waves, others ply their trade in Spanish, Chinese, or uh, Plaudish, a archaic Germanic language influenced by the Dutch. Bill. Thank you, Charlie. This story from Brownsville, Texas. 300 miles apart, President Joe Biden and likely Republican challenger Donald Trump walked along the U.S.-Mexico border in Texas on Thursday in dueling trips, underscoring how important immigration has become for the 2024 election and how much each man wants to use it to his advantage. Each chose an optimal location to make his points. Their schedules remarkably similar. They each got a briefing on operations and issues, walked the border, and gave remarks that overlapped. But that's where the comparisons ended. Biden, who sought to spotlight how Republicans tanked a bipartisan border security deal on Trump's orders, went to the Rio Grande Valley city of Brownsville for nine years. This was the busiest corridor for illegal crossings, but they have dropped sharply in recent months. The president walked a quiet stretch of the border along the Rio Grande and received a lengthy operations briefing from Homeland Security agents who talked to him bluntly about what more they needed. Trump, meanwhile, continued his dialed-up attacks on migrants arriving at the border, deriding them as, quote, terrorists and criminals after harnessing rhetoric used by Adolf Hitler to argue that our, uh, migrants are poisoning the blood of America. This is a Joe Biden invasion, Trump said. Trump was in Eagle Pass 
uh, roughly 325 miles northwest of Brownsville in the quarter that's a, uh, currently seen the largest number of crossings. He went to a local park that has become a Republican symbol of defiance against the federal immigration enforcement practices at mocks. Governor Greg Abbott and Texas National Guard soldiers gave him a tour showing off razor wire they put up on uh, Abbott's orders and in defiance of a U.S. Supreme Court order. This is like a war, Trump said. The number of people illegally crossing the U.S. border has been rising for years for complicated reasons that include climate change, war, and unrest in other nations, the economy, and cartels that see migration as a cash cow. The administration's approach has been to pair crackdowns at the border with increasing legal pathways for migrants designed to steer people into arriving by plane with sponsors not illegally on foot. Arrests for illegal crossings fell by half in January after record highs in December. The numbers of migrants have far outpaced the capacity of an immigration system that has not been substantially updated in decades. Trump and Republicans claim Biden is refusing to act, but absent law change from Congress, any major policies are likely to be challenged or held up in court. Charlie? Doctors' strike in South Korea is going strong despite a government ultimatum. Hospitals disrupted as 10,000 risk heavy fines and revoked licenses. From Seoul, surgeries postponed, appointments canceled, patients turned away from emergency rooms for more than a week. Procedures at some of the largest hospitals in South Korea have been disrupted because thousands of medical interns and residents walked off their jobs. A prolonged walkout could have disastrous consequences. The dispute started in early February when the government proposed admitting more students to medical schools to address a long-standing shortage of physicians in South Korea. Interns and residents known as trainee doctors countered by saying that the shortage was not industry-wide but confined to particular specialties like emergency care. They said that the government's plan would not solve the problem, adding that they were victims of a system rife with harsh working conditions and low wages. The doctors then took to the streets to protest the plan, threatening to strike or quit their jobs. By and large, senior doctors backed their younger colleagues' claims. But with surveys showing broad public support for beefing up the ranks of physicians, the government did not budge. Some saw the doctors push back as a tactic to increase their paychecks. Trainee doctors, who are a crucial part of large hospitals, starting to submitting their resignations on February 19th. As of Wednesday, nearly 10,000 or about 10 percent of all doctors in the country had done so, according to the government data. But most of these resignations had not been accepted by the hospitals. It's impossible to justify collective action that takes people's health hostage and threatens their lives and safety, President Yoon suk Yeol told, told reporters on Tuesday. His government has said that if the doctors return to their jobs by Thursday, they would not face any legal repercussions. Otherwise, they could risk losing their medical licenses and face fines of up to 30 million won. That's $22,000 American. The health ministry was we this week was filed police complaints against a handful of doctors accusing them of violating medical law. 
As of Thursday morning, nearly 300 doctors have returned to work, according to the ministry. But with most trainee doctors still off the job, the dispute shows no signs of resolution. Here's what you need to know. Uh, What is the hospital situation now? Many medical procedures have been pushed back. Patients have been told that at the last minute their appointments have been delayed indefinitely. Some have been redirected to smaller clinics. The government has temporarily allowed hospitals to let nurses fill in for doctors when appropriate. Nonetheless, many major hospitals remain short-staffed and generating complaints from the public. One case this week was used by both sides to bolster their argument. A woman in her 80s with terminal cancer was turned away by several emergency rooms after her heart stopped beating with hospitals saying they were at capacity. When she was finally admitted, she was declared dead on arrival. Bill. Thank you, Charlie. This story is on the front page of The Current from Washington. The House passed another short-term spending measure Thursday that would keep one set of federal agencies operating through March 8th and another set through March 22nd, avoiding a shutdown for parts of the federal government that would otherwise kick in Saturday. The Senate was expected to vote on the bill later in the day. The short-term extension is the fourth in recent months, and many lawmakers expect it to be the last for the current fiscal year, including House Speaker Mike Johnson, who said that negotiators had completed six of the annual spending bills that uh, fund federal agencies and had, quote, almost final agreement on the others, unquote. And he goes on to say, we'll get the job done. He said that as he exited a closed-door meeting with Republican colleagues. The vote to approve the extension was 320 to 99. It easily cleared the two-thirds majority needed for passage. Democrats overwhelmingly voted to avert a partial shutdown, But the vote was much more divided, with Republicans 113 in support and 97 against. After the House voted on the extension, the Senate was expected to take it up in time to pass it and send it to President Joe Biden's desk before uh, before Friday's midnight deadline. At the end of the process, now expected to extend into late March, Congress is set to approve more than $1.6 trillion in spending for the fiscal year that began October 1st, roughly in line with the previous fiscal year. That's the amount that former Speaker Kevin McCarthy negotiated with the White House last year before eight disgruntled Republican lawmakers joined with Democrats uh, a few months later and voted to oust him from the position. Some of the House's most conservative members wanted deeper cuts for non-defense programs than the agreement, uh, than what the agreement allowed through its spending caps. They also sought an array of policy changes that Democrats opposed. They were hoping the prospect of a shutdown could leverage more concessions. Last I checked, the Republicans actually have a majority in the House of Representatives, but you wouldn't know it if you looked at our checkbook because we are all too willing to continue the policy choices of Joe Biden and the spending levels of Nancy Pelosi, said Representative Matt Gates, Republican of Florida.